Isn't the meeting going well so far? <laughs> they, <coughs> man, we're really delighted to be here. What a great thing next Sunday night, that baptism on the beach. You know, if we had an outdoor baptism where I come from, we'd have to chip off the ice. <laughs> and we've baptized a number of Haitian refugees indoors, of course, uh, just in the last few weeks. The Lord's blessed. My daughter is working full-time in the Lord's work, and uh, they've established a home where, where uh, refugee claimants from Africa and the Haitian, uh, Haiti, rather, and other countries can, can come. And we've seen a number of them coming to the Lord. We have about maybe 20 or 30 coming to the assembly, and uh, it's been a great blessing. But we had the water warmed up for the baptism. We have two heaters in there, and they said, oh, it's so cold. <laughs> it all depends on what you're used to. But what a blessing. I, uh, um, of course, uh, had the privilege, uh, I think just before I came last year, of baptizing some people in the River Jordan. Well, I didn't do the baptizing. You see, when you're my height... You bury them in Christ, but you don't raise them. <laughs> so I got a big tall fella to do it. But it is a joy to see people obeying the Lord in baptism. Now, I feel I'm neglecting these folk over there. If I don't look at you, Vivian will cough loudly and I'll do it. <laughs> so here we are, standing firm in Christ. Anticipation this morning, standing firm tonight. It, it's a wonderful passage. I will read part of this passage. Uh, rejoice! Look at this word of God, Philippians four four to seven. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again. Rejoice! Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And a peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful passage? You know, if you're ever feeling a bit out of sync with things, read a passage like that and, and make a prayer like we just sang and your life will be transformed. Especially because this book is about experiencing joy. And... and that's, it keeps coming up. Here it is again, verse 4. We're in the last chapter, and Paul's still emphasizing. He said, rejoice in the Lord always, and again rejoice. That, that repetition's coming. There's Paul again repeating his point, repeating his theme. And as I said this morning, I'm very glad about that as I get older. Uh, Paul's tendency to repeat important points reminds us that we must do that and uh, as, I suppose as we get more forgetful we're more appreciative I don't know why I've got so many memory stories but I was reading recently about this forgetful man must have been my age he bought a new car and he, he think I'll forget what it looks like I'm not used to this car so he said to my, his wife how can I remember the car well, she said, uh, it will be easy to find it. You remember the license plate. The license plate is 1492. Now, that's the year Columbus discovered America. So just look round, 1492, year Columbus discovered America, and you found your car. He said, well, that's a great idea. Two nights later, he's wandering around the parking lot. Half an hour later, 
as he wanders around, he asks a passerby, he says, pardon me, sir, I'm sorry to bother you, but could you tell me what year Columbus discovered America? <laughs> and that's the problem we all have. Uh, he had a great plan, but he forgot it. And Paul is saying, look, this is it. Don't forget. I'm going to say this again. You rejoice in the Lord. Of course, I have to realize we don't all feel like uh, Charlie Brown did on the start of the, the baseball season. He said, I feel good mentally. I feel good physically. This is the most confident I've ever felt. It's not always like that. It started to rain. He says, now what? And I have to say, as we get into this, of course, it's great to say, Rejoice in the Lord! Come on, rejoice in the Lord! But things happen. Uh, Christians become bewildered because a rain comes, difficulties. Uh, you see, rejoicing and feeling secure is not always a reality of our everyday experience. It's easy, I'm sorry, I preach about this, but rainy days come. I mean, life has ups and downs. It can be very complicated. And we constantly ask about feeling secure and rejoicing. Really, how do I do it? How, in the end, we need to be practical. How do I do that? And this is what I love about Paul. He's so practical in his epistles, isn't it? This is not just theory. This is not just doctrine. Look what verse 1 says. This is how you should stand firm in the Lord. This is the NIV version of this. It's a practical chapter. Chapter 4 is about how to do it. I love how to do it. I'm not much of a handyman, but I tell you, if I have a simple job to do at home, i got to call someone and say, how do you do this? And I like step-by-step -step instructions. And that's what Paul... He said, this is how you stand firm and secure in the Lord. So if you're concerned about, now what? And how am I going to do it? This is a chapter for you. And I like it because it outlines some particular key marks that you will show if you're standing firm in the Lord. You could measure this very easily. It, it contains five key marks of those believers who manage to retain their joy in the Lord in all circumstances, even on the rainy days, and they always stand firm in the Lord. And we're just going to go through those marks, and as we do it, you need to say, to what extent do I show this? How am I going to show this? Uh, and let's, let's just listen. I'm, I've called them all by C's, so you'll remember them. There are five marks. I call them the five C's of standing firm. We stand firm, as Paul says in verse 1, by being number one in those verses 2 through 5, considerate. Considerate to one another. There's an attitude thing there. By 6 and 7, being calm. Uh, then in 8 and 9 by being controlled uh, and then as we get right into the chapter 10 through 12 by being content and finally and this is so wonderful to be confident and that really takes us to the end of the chapter so we're going to look at these these five C's these characteristics to be considerate and calm and controlled and content and confident uh, as marks of what it is to stand firm in the Lord. Because if these marks were to become a reality in our lives, and they become a reality not, not by some kind of hoping for the best, but by our choice to practice them, then of course you will have a whole different lifestyle. Uh, you see, Paul is 
really urging us in this chapter to make the choice to do this stuff. Verse 9, he says, whatever you've learned, I can preach and other preachers come and we give you the word of God, but Paul says, look, whatever you learn, put it into practice. Do this stuff. And it really involves a firm decision to apply God's word. God's word's not just something, hey, I came again and learned something more about God. It involves, in this case, a very firm decision to apply God's word in our lives. So Paul is really saying, just do it. That's what he says. Whatever you learn, do it. It's like the Nike commercial used to say, just do it. And sometimes I think we go all around the bush and we should actually say what Paul said, just do it. Now, of course, we're going to need a large strength and we'll get into all that. It's perhaps easier said than done. I understand that. But the bottom line is, well, let's start. In our relationships, it's about being considerate. This is, a, this is an important thing for Christian fellowship. Let, let's think about our community life together. And I love the way Paul starts this because the basis for being considerate with one another is that important phrase. If you go through this carefully, you'll see Paul keeps sneaking in this phrase, in the Lord. So in verse 2 it said, look, agree in the Lord. Now you probably know a little bit of background from Philippians. It's a book I'm sure you've studied before. And this is really a plea to these two sisters. There was Euodia and Sintichi. Some people call her Suntachi because she seems to have a little problem. We don't quite know what it was, but there was some disagreement. Uh, and, and really that's probably at the back of this. And Paul's saying, look, if you could agree with each other in the Lord. And I think Paul probably had their situation of this little disagreement in mind when he wrote that classic passage that we talked about last Sunday, Philippians 2, about having the mind of Christ, because the truth is no two people could have Christ's mind and fundamentally clash. If you have the mind of Christ and another believer has the mind of Christ, you can't be really clashing. Because the, what Paul is trying to get us to realize is that the key to good horizontal relationships with each other, unity and blessing and fellowship this way between people, is of course a healthy vertical relationship with the Lord. If our relationship with the Lord's in good shape, then the other things take care of themselves. Because believers are one with the Lord, who have the mind of Christ, trying to do the will of God through the, uh, what Jesus said, well, they can't easily remain at odds with one another because, well, for his sake, they, they seek to understand each other's perspective. I mean, there are assemblies that have had awkward brothers, awkward sisters and difficulties, and I always think, you know, there's a starting point, and that's the cross. Just the salvation. Salvation starts at the cross. And, and, and really, you should read the whole book because the basis of what Paul's saying here about consideration, about agreeing with each other, it's chapter 2. Chapter 2 is so important. You read it so often, but it's a chapter not just about the wonderful personal work of Christ, but it's about how we have to model that. So, Philippians 2, you remember, I'll just remind you of it, we talked about it last week, Paul said in verse 3, in humility consider others better than yourselves. Hard to do that. Human pride being what it is. Look to the interests of others. Have the same attitude as Christ, who made himself nothing. 
Christ who being in human likeness became obedient unto death even the death of the cross that's the starting point you can't read that passage and brush off the importance of having a good relationship with our brothers and sisters that is the basis chapter 2 and Paul in this letter stresses many times in this epistle that believers they must understand each other not just because it's nice not just because it's good to be all together in these things but he said it's for the Lord's sake it's for the Lord's sake and that we need to get that into our mind it's for his sake because listen you know 2 Corinthians 8 9 look you if you're a believer you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich listen yet for your sake he became poor for your sake the Lord acted for your sake is it hard then to say, for his sake? We need, to, we need to really work to understand people. You know, I like to learn a lot from Charles Schultz's stuff, and here's a little episode between Linus and Snoopy, and he said, you know what, Snoopy? I don't understand people. No matter how hard I try, I just don't understand them. Well, Snoopy says, I know how he feels. I gave up trying to under understand people a long time ago. Now I just let them try to understand me. <laughs> That's not right. Don't learn from this dog, Snoopy. Our job is not to say, I'm just going to get these guys to understand me. I get it. A big mo motivation for, for considering others, trying to understand others, trying to understand each other it's the example of the Lord Jesus in chapter 2 that's so practical so if you are disagreeable or you have a friend who's disagreeable or strident or argumentative or critical you have to say that is incompatible with your claim to be in the Lord and it is a challenge. I have to tell you, when I was a young brother, I used to used to get really strident, and, uh, and you, you kind of argue the point, and you, you had to make the point. It took me a long time to learn that that we do things for the Lord's sake, and when we're in the Lord, we can't behave like our nature would call us to behave. You see, some Christians, and uh, I say this with feeling because I've been there, can get agitated over. Well, a, a small matters. In fact, one of the problems that I travel about assemblies is that disunity is coming not because of the big doctrines, but about matters of style, not matters of substance. You'd be surprised how many assemblies are, uh, are at loggerheads and falling apart over what? Doctrine? No. The music. Oh, that's a major issue. It's a style thing. And we need to, to worry about that, of course. Uh, in our assembly, we have some... We have some pretty wild songs that I can't sing. We have some beautiful old hymns that I love. But we say, hey, we're a family. In a family, the grandfather has to accommodate the kids a little bit, and the kids have to accommodate grandfather. But we all need to be together. Some of the big churches up north are having two services so that they can have the kids in one singing one sort of song, and I don't say old people in a different service. That's not the way the church operates. We have to be together. And that's a trivial example, but it reminds us of the importance of consideration of each other. But it's not easy. I mean, uh, hey, I, I, I sound a good guy when I'm preaching, but you see, Vivian always comes to keep me honest. Someone once said to her, do you wake up 
grumpy in the morning. She said, oh, I just let him sleep. <laughs> but, you know, I know this is difficult sometimes. If Vivian didn't come, I'd perhaps claim I'm never grumpy, but there you go. But it becomes clear as we read Paul's exhortation that those who stand in Christ, they, they show the reality of their position in him by a calm and agreeable demeanor. And this is not natural for some people. There are people who have difficulty with that, but, but you know, if, if you're at peace with God, at real peace with God, it's, it's hard to become embroiled in personality clashes. Of course, you've got to stand for truth. I don't let error slip by without challenging it, but I'm talking about disagreements between fellow believers that are really personality clashes. And hey, if you look at the history of our assemblies, there have been plenty of those over the years. But Paul said, no. He said in verse 5, let your what? Gentleness, your consideration, that's what the word is, be evident to all. Wouldn't it be lovely if every believer here was just known for being considerate and gentle and it was evident to everybody. He couldn't miss it. Um, and this is important, you see, the call to live considerately. It actually extends to all times and all people. I mean, it's not only every brother and sister in Christ, but it includes friends and workmates and neighbors. One of the things I had to learn is it includes parking lot attendants. Right. You know, we had a new policy at the university when I, when I was a professor, I had to, and they had to pay for parking, and it changed. I got there one morning, and he said, you can't park here, and you haven't paid, and he was giving me a hard time. This poor man was only doing his job. And I was shouting and, and arguing with him, and he suddenly told me, he's just trying to do his job. Uh, what's the matter with me? And then I discovered, you see how the Lord chastens? I found out he was a brother in another assembly and I went to preach and there he was. <laughs> the fellow I'd blown off at. Oh man, did I have to learn before the Lord. I've had worse ones than that, I couldn't tell you. I, Vivian, I, no, Vivian's looking at the watch. I'd love to tell you how bad I... <laughs> i just tell you one quick. We couldn't get our phone fixed when we moved into a house. Donkeys years ago, this, of course, I was younger then. I was getting desperate to get a phone fixed. Went on day after day, Bell wouldn't respond. I had meetings to fix. I thought I had important work to do for the Lord. So finally, I went next door. I had to keep going next door. And I got over a bell, and I misused my term doctor because I was letting them think I was a medical doctor. And they said, you know, and I'm not that kind of a doctor. I don't do anyone any good in my, with my doctor. And I'm saying, and I'm really, of course I was very careful with language. Don't think that I went and said words Christians shouldn't say, but I really flew and flew and flew. I never stopped. Then eventually I paused for a breath. And I heard this voice say, all right, David, we'll come and fix your phone. There was a brother in one of the assemblies. <laughs> now, I've got to tell you, that was 1970. So I had learned a lot since then. To this day, when I see that brother, he said, how's your phone? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you that because I don't want you to think a preacher's got it. This is not easy sometimes with our temperament. But it's everywhere and always. And it's a challenge. Everywhere and always. You know, I love these church notice boards. I saw this one that said, We care for you Sunday, 11 a.m. only. <laughs> that can be true. 
This is not to do with my message, but I've got to share this one. <laughs> Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> I love those. But listen, seriously. Paul points out the church community should help. And these Christians in Philippi, they practice consideration. They help. It's a wonderful community. Well, they had a few problems, but they help by sharing and giving, and that's very clear as we read through. In verse 14, Paul says, It was good of you to share in my troubles. They showed consideration. because there was a problem between two sisters. Probably not a big problem, but Paul says, Help these women. Do something about it. And he's been saying, of course, you do need to speak to people when they're, when they're at loggerheads. If you have somebody who's having a difficulty in the church, you do need to deal with it. That's what elders need to do, because consideration doesn't mean, oh, I won't say anything about it. Consideration requires honesty. And we do have to... Having consideration means we speak out honestly if people are doing wrong. We do it in the right way. Uh, too often we avoid being involved in people's lives. And there are many situations where the most loving thing to do to help someone is to point out the truth. Of course in love, you've got to have the right side, but honesty with love is most important. So don't think consideration means, oh, just keep quiet about everything. I've got to tell you one more story, then I must move. We have a lot of exposition, but I love this story. It was a president of a dog food company. And he had this new product, and it wasn't selling. So he questioned the management, and he said, what about advertising? He said, look, we've, our ad campaign has won the top award, and we've got new packaging, and it's scored high in every marketing test. He said, well, what's happening? Are the sales force doing their job? The sales manager said, look, we've got the best in the business. They're all award-winning salesmen. So, so the president called a meeting and he summarized the com uh, situation. He said, we've got the, the great advertising, we've got superb packaging, we've got the top sales force, and we're dead last in the dog food business. And they all looked at each other glumly and nobody would speak. Until one brave salesman, just a new salesman, he said, sir, sir, it's so stupid dogs, they won't touch the stuff. <laughs> and he had to speak out this... He got all his stuff, but the core of it was wrong. Uh, sometimes you think, well, I won't say anything. We have to be considerate boat rockers sometimes, and if you're genuinely in the Lord, you're going to display the fruit of the Spirit uh, when you do anything, and it's going to be peace, it's going to be self-control, um, so that everyone would realize that, that when you act, you act, well, you're acting with balance and you're, you're, you're combining reasonableness and genuine concern with absolute honesty. And you need the Holy Spirit to do that. I mean, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And it's, but it's exactly the characteristics that are exemplified. Look at verses 6 and 7. They call on us to be calm or at peace internally within ourselves as well as externally with other people. And of course, that's a very, that's the key thing, be calm. It's a second mark of believers who stand firm in Christ. And again, we need to be careful about this one. Always be careful to be balanced when you're trying to do the work of God because 
It's not saying don't get excited about things. Baby, I'll tell you, I, I'm not by nature a calm person. That's why I get into trouble on the phone and all that stuff. I get excited. But it doesn't say don't get excited about things. I think enthusiasm is not only okay, it's important. If you're not enthusiastic about the gospel, if you're not enthusiastic about the Lord, if you're not enthusiastic about his word, something's wrong. You know, I was persuaded by some Christian down in Boca Raton to do something I never do because I grew up in England where they play cricket and soccer and all these weird sports to watch part of the Super Bowl. I didn't know, I can't even understand the game, but I did notice one thing. Nobody was calm at the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I thought, you know, there is a place for getting excited. See, what Paul is talking about is when he's talking about calmness, he's talking about he's talking about unrest of the spirit. Don't be anxious. Don't be unrestful in your spirit. Charlie Brown and Linus are talking. Linus says, "I kind of admire you, Charlie Brown. You always seem so calm. Are you really calm all the time?" Well, he said, let me put it this way. I'm the only calm person I know who's a nervous wreck. <laughs> but what he's talking about is don't be like a nervous wreck. You see, one of these sisters at Philippi was Cynthia, uh, she'll be called, soon touchy. But the concern is that, 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 that whatever was going on, that, that we don't blow up at the slightest thing. And Paul's exhortation here is, it's really to avoid unrest of the spirit, uh, or avoid worrying, anxiety. And of course, it's linked, notice this in verse 6, with a call to pray about everything. And this is so important. Paul says, in everything by prayer, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And he's really saying, look, a thankful attitude, a prayerful attitude, it's incompatible with an anxious attitude. Uh, Prayer is linked here with something that we can give over to God. And this is such an important practical thing, to give over to God our anxiety. I believe prayer is the key to overcoming anxiety. And that's what the calmness that's being talked about is, anxiety. Prayer is where we leave our concerns with the Lord for Him to work out His purposes for our lives. You know this scripture so well. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's tragic to see Christians say, read that verse. and The word cast means, it literally means dump them, dump them on the Lord. But, and I say, why try to carry what you've dumped? If you've given them to the Lord, leave them there. And that's the secret, of course, to avoiding anxiety. And this passage is, is saying in verse 7, look, Take your anxieties to the Lord. He guards your heart and mind. And it's very important this, you see. The heart is the emotional part of us, where we do get excited. It's where we experience feelings and fears and joy and elation. The mind, well, that's the rational part, where we reason and we make decisions. And the wonderful thing Paul's teaching here is that the, these two interact, and psychologists can't explain this either. They interact in ways Verse 7 says it transcends understanding, how the mind affects the emotions and so forth. We, we have trouble understanding that, but what Paul is saying here is, and he uses a word for peace in verse 7 that means garrison or guard. Sometimes if you're studying the Bible, do look at meanings of words. 
It's like a, a troop of soldiers guarding the barracks. And what he's saying is in verse 7, when he talks about the peace of God, is describing a situation where, where soldiers are protecting a territory. They're stopping the enemy from entering. And, and that's very important teaching. Because we do have an enemy. You know we have an enemy. You've got to think about that enemy. And that enemy is kept out of heart and mind. They can become a protected zone as we allow the Lord to do his work. So the promise here is that God by his spirit can so change and protect us that, that destructive thoughts no longer produce an anxious emotional state. Uh, and, and Paul calls this gift the peace of God and he says it does pass all understanding. And he said it comes by prayer. You can't manufacture it. You can't go home and say I'm going to be more peaceful. You get it from the Lord. It's a gift he promised. It's something that's experienced but it can't be explained. But it can be testified to. Testified to the peace of God and, and, and know what it is to be protected. I'm sure if you've lay, uh, faced surgery or a huge crisis in your life and you're a believer, you, you've experienced this. And we need to, to realise that worry is wrong for a Christian. Here's a little episode again. Lucy said to Snoopy, how can you be so happy when, when you don't know uh, what the year has in store for you? She says, don't you worry about all the things that can happen? Well, this affects Snoopy. She said, that's better. Live in dread and fear. Be sensible. But you can't hold this guy down. <laughs> Before you know it, you see, he's understood. And uh, I, well, I'll leave that heading on for a minute. He's understood what this passage is teaching. That worry is a useless exercise. I often uh, say worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Uh, it's totally useless. And it's very interesting to know as you go to the Word of God that in Matthew 6.31, the Lord Jesus told us not to worry. And you know what the Lord said? He pointed out that worry is a characteristic of a heathen. In other words, Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't behave like an unbeliever. If, if, if you're a worry, well, this is the way unbelievers behave. So if you want to stand firm in Christ, you have to be not only peaceful with other believers at, and society at large, but most of all, you have to be peaceful within yourself to live a calm and considerate and, let's get quickly to number three, a controlled life. Now we're getting to our responsibility. You see, the Lord will guard, but there's a responsibility on our part. And verses 8 and 9 show that in this area, our mind and thinking... Uh, this area of our Christian life, we have a responsibility to do some gatekeeping. You see, in matters of the mind, which is a controlled center of our lives, Paul's saying, the matters you think about, they're under your control. The, the, the mind, we're very unique as humans, we're given the gift of thought. That's a wonderful gift. But godly character... If we're going to show the marks of Christ, the mind of Christ, it's shaped by godly thoughts. Because on, people say we are what we eat, but we are what we think. And our Christian distinctiveness starts right here. That's a picture of the brain, but 
in a way I can't explain tonight there's a mind behind the brain but Christian distinctive starts here in the mind and we do have a choice we can either follow the herd and think like everybody else let others do our thinking for us or we can go to the word of God take it seriously and follow the shepherd and that's the call it's a clear choice and I think that we undervalue the importance of controlling the mind. You know, we always say, how are you today? Hey, brother, good to see you. How are you? Sometimes I like to shake people up and say, how are you thinking today? Because if you're thinking skewed and off target, everything else will be. And, uh, and this passage is talking about spiritual mind control. Um, and verse 8 assures us our thoughts can be controlled. Other scriptures do that. Romans 12, 2, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Think in a different way. And we can do it. Don't believe all these Linus lines that I gave you. <laughs> Linus says, how can a person decide what he's going to think? I mean, doesn't he have to think first and then try to discover what it is he's thought? <laughs> Lucy just stares at him. He says, you're looking at me with blank eyes. Well, yeah, that might seem like a convoluted argument, but we can choose what we think about. And verse 8 is very practical teaching. It says, whatever's true and noble and right, whatever's pure and lovely and admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's very practical stuff. But you can decide what we think about. And the clear implication of this scripture is that in this area, some effort and discipline on our part is required. You see, the Lord doesn't control The Lord knows our thoughts, but he doesn't control them. And that's an important principle, lovely scripture hidden away in 1 Chronicles. You know, people think Chronicles is a bit of a desert to skip over, but read it. Lovely gems. And 28.9 says, The Lord searches every heart and, look, understands every motive behind the thoughts. What a challenge is that verse. Now, you can't stop perverse and useless thoughts knocking at the door of your mind. It happens all the time. But I think verse 8 is so important. It's like a series of passwords. You know you need a password to get into your computer these days. Here's passwords for things to get into your mind. Say to yourself, is this true? Is it honest? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? If it's praiseworthy, anything that fits those categories, say, hey, come on, roll around. But we live in a sordid, distorted world and there's so much that doesn't deserve praise that impinges on the mind and it's easy to go into a downward spiral and I love the Living Bible version. Paul says, think about anything you can praise God for and be glad about it. You know, this morning I talked about multitasking women and uh, somebody wanted that picture because they thought that was really a good thought. But look, I've got to tell you, um, it's really hard in the end to concentrate on two things at once in the mind. Very difficult to think, and you can multitask, but you can't think of two things uh, once. Let me, I don't do my science experiments these days, but let me give you the world's simplest illustration of this. That uh, should be an empty glass. There's air in there. Now, how can I get it out? It's in there. I can't blow it out because I'm putting more in. I can't wave it out. The room is full of it. How can I get it out? 
It's like those thoughts in our mind. Sometimes those thoughts the devil places, the world gets us into. How can I get them out? Well, there's an easy way of getting the air out. This is not a very exciting demonstration, but it makes a point of putting the water in and the... It's not quite displaced at all because I didn't get enough water, but you get the point. It's displaced there. It's gone because we put something else into it. And Paul's saying very clearly, when those negative thoughts, those sinful ideas, those criticisms of people, those proud thoughts, when they begin to invade your thinking, well, it's important to think of what? Hey, do it. Think of some aspect of the Lord. Think of some experience of His grace. Think about a verse of scripture. Great that the kids memorize scripture here. Think about a verse. Think about some person that needs your prayer. You must have a friend who's sick. Think of, then, hey, your whole personality becomes infused with joy because you've displaced that unwelcome thought. It's pushed out of the mind. When am I going to put this up? Pushed out of the mind. So, look, be controlled, especially in the mind. Consider it calm, controlled, and we'll just do these two very quickly, content. Contentment, that's a great blessing and another mark of those that stand firm in Christ. How many people... Ziggy here says money really isn't everything. If it was, what would we buy with it? But Paul said, you know, people get so tied up with needing things. He said, I've learned the secret of being content in every and any situation. You see, it's our outlook, not our circumstances, that determines how content we are. So many people think it's our, what we have and our circumstances. And how do we find contentment? Paul so practically said, I've learned the secret of being content. In every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, he said, contentment's a secret you learn by experience. You know, we can tell others about it, but, but we can't share it with them because it's in a feeling. In a sense, it remains our secret. All contented people know they have it, and it's a great blessing. And Paul had it, and, and you should pray for contentment. Contentment, it's not letting, you learn it only by experience, and it's not letting circumstances dictate your feelings. And it comes from only one place total satisfaction with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul had that ability to remain content. Remember he wrote this in prison. And he had that ability to thrive in hardship and it came from his ability to keep his focus on the Lord and what we said this morning on the outcome of his life. He had confidence in God's promises. And it's practical stuff. I want to call you as we conclude today to check Always check your outlook so that you remain confident. And this is our last but important great truth. Be confident. Ziggy here says, I have an inferiority complex, but it's not a very good one. <laughs> but you see, no Christian made in the image of God, no Christian understands God's purposes, can ever feel they have an inferiority complex. Now, you might say, well, yeah, no, I've got to try to, to find some strength within myself. Don't misunderstand this passage. It's not a call to dig deep and find strength in yourself. So much in the world is saying, that's the message. Uh, I'm going to skip this. Time has gone. All those books that are sold. 
that are secret, the power. They're saying, look, if you want something and you express feelings of love, it's yours. You only have to think about it and you've got it. And it's all about finding the power within yourself. And the absolute nonsense when you read the word, word of God, the real secret. Verse 13, I can do everything through him that gives me the strength. And it's in the Lord. And there's a lot more that could be said about that, of course, and we don't have time tonight. But, but, but I want you to, and it, it doesn't mean that some people have mistakenly claimed that we can do anything we want through Christ. Don't take this verse to mean that, that you can act like you're omnipotent, that, that you, that's an attribute of God alone, of course. Uh, this verse, like every verse in the Bible, has a particular context. It doesn't imply some superhuman feats of strength. What it implies is an ability to handle all the changing circumstances of life. So don't take a text like this and use it to justify, for example, doing something God's not gifted you to do. I've known ungifted people doing things that they shouldn't be doing. They say, well, I can do everything through him that gives me strength. No, Paul's simply saying that whatever the circumstances that God leads you into... He's absolutely confident with Christ's help he can do everything that needs to be done in those circumstances. And the context is clearly Paul's assurance of his ability to constantly triumph in spite of his difficult experience. And I want to commend this to you. You know, showing God's strength in times of difficulty is a powerful witness to the Lord. Your confidence in God, that shakes people. Let me give you one example. I've shared this a little bit with you, but one of the most famous scientists in, in the world is an American, Francis Collins. Here, President Obama is appointing him as uh, director of the National Institutes of Health. Now, he's the guy that cracked the human genome. He'd been on TV with Clinton earlier, but now he's director of the biggest scientific project in this country. But he's a Christian. And he was called to faith. Let me, I can't share his testimony at the time, but you know he was called to faith. He was called to faith at 27 years of age when he was an atheistic doctor and he was working in the hospital and he observed Christian strength, particularly when they were dying. And this strength blew him away. And he said, those who know Christ as Christians, they have this incredible strength and they die differently than anybody else. And he went to the Word of God to check it out because he wanted to prove that there was no real basis for it. And it led to him being born again at that age. And he's still a, a witness to the Lord in the highest circles of science. But he became confident, both in mind, intellectually, and his thinking, because he had to make sure that our faith is based on history and facts. This is a solid, evidentially based faith, but emotionally in living. He's found as any Christian who's done a homework and accepted Jesus finds God remains faithful. And so Paul says, the basis of our confidence is, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Listen, folks, we have unlimited resources for every need. This is not every want, but it's your choice. And that's how we started. You have a choice to go out in his strength and be more considerate and calm and controlled and content and be ready to put all your confidence in the Lord or just carry on in this kind of way we sometimes do. And it is a choice. This passage is, go back to verse 9, whatever you've learned, 
whatever you've heard from me, whatever you've seen me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. i got to tell you, folks, at my age, I can say this with confidence. It's a life you've always wanted and it's yours, not for the wishy. Forget all that baloney the world puts about just with... It's for the living, it's for doing it with God's help. In the end, it's all about this. And I go back to chapter 2, it's having the mind of Christ. Our Lord Jesus lived for the glory of his Father. He lived and said in John seventeen twenty four, I have brought you glory on earth. How? By completing the work you gave me to do. He did the job. He completed the job. That's our example. And this is a true motivation for standing firm in Christ. What does verse 20 say? Here we are at the end of the chapter. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the truth. And there's a wonderful second amen. I love this chapter. Finishes with amen and amen. Verse 23 said, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Amen. And that's my call to you. It's amen and amen. May the grace of Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Hey, stand firm, be considerate, calm, controlled, content and confident. And you can do it in Christ's strength. God bless you. You've got a wonderful local church here. You've got a great testimony. Just make sure that personally you and you and you and all of us do it and live as this chapter called us to live for the glory of of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. And now, the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. Bless your people. We commit them to you with gratitude for their faithfulness in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Great joy to be with you. We're going to be moving on. Uh, we'll be back next year, God willing. Uh, Malcolm and God being willing, we'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> but it has been a joy and we certainly do enjoy here being in Boulevard and we know that you're going to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus especially as you follow his word thank you <laughs>